the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Starting with Mr. Nick Peck. Nick. Well, good evening, Mike. Good evening, gentlemen. And a happy Thor's Day to all of you. Happy Thursday to you, too. And next to him, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. And today, we are honored to have with us the bit boss of 1010 Music, Mr. Aaron Higgins. Aaron, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. Mike, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um this is going to be a great podcast because we're going to talk synths. We're going to talk Bitbox. We're going to talk about the black box from Bitbox. Oh my, I mean, from black box from 1010 Music. Uh, and uh, what a great piece of gear. But um, before we get going, I got to tell you guys a story. Um, you know how the last couple of podcasts we've been talking about um, backing up and your data and how important that is. Well, these last two days, I've been on set with a friend doing... Um, DIT, which is basically data wrangling for a shoot. And we were out at this haunted mansion up in La Cunada, and it literally was haunted, right? And so my job was basically more like data wrangling, where um, as they were shooting the cameras, I'd take the cards and I'd copy them and I'd make three copies. And I was so paranoid about that because we were shooting with a, a, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I, uh, uh, at, at one time, movie star. <laughs> and uh, so it was pretty important. It was a full-on crew. But um, they would bring the cards. And the crazy thing was is, is we were – the way you do it is even though that was like a terabyte card, we would never shoot more than 256 on it because you don't want to spend, you know, a half an hour trying to copy all your data off, um, especially if you have to make three copies. But the one thing that I that as soon as I showed up and they gave me the drives, the drives were the GTEC, but the kind with the wall words that you plugged in, and they had been popping circuits left and right while they were setting up for the lighting. So here I am, I have to to you know capture all this all this data, and they're popping circuits. And my biggest nightmare was if I was doing a copy and then the circuit popped and poof, there goes your drive, you know. And I've I've had drives die like that. So right on the spot. I just made the decision that I would never have both drives on at the same time. So I would copy one and turn that drive off and go and copy the next one. And I would go back and forth to the whole thing. And it just made me realize our, our conversation about backing up. It's like sometimes when you're in the field, you just got to make up all these little rules to protect the data because the data is the most important thing. You can't get that back. We can't get that, you know, two hours back that they were shooting. And especially with the, it was such a small independent production, but it, it just backing up and just being adaptable to how you handle your data is so important. I mean, it really like, it's the most important thing that you, it's amazing how your hard drives can go from, you know, a net worth of $200 to $2 million like overnight. Right. It's just incredible. So I just wanted to, to, um, tell that little story because it was all because you know i had backup on my mind from our previous podcast and stuff so if i had more time though i'd set up the rob thing with the whole on you know server and the whole thing but didn't have time to do that well you do that for your own stuff you don't waste that for friends <laughs> you don't waste that for friends that's great 
Hey, I just got to say, first of all, um, I am really looking forward to talking about this because we're talking about synthesizers. And before we go and we, and we start um, visiting with Aaron, um, I had a friend of mine this week ask me a question that really kind of positive made me think. He wants to get into synthesizers and he doesn't have a lot of money. He said, what would be your first synth if you were going to get into synthesizers right now, what would you recommend as, as like your first one? And he wants a hardware because he, he wants to, you know, tweak the dials and things like that. You know, and my, the first one that came to mind is so old school and I actually told Nick earlier was the, the, the Juno 106, you know? Which are because, super stupidly expensive now, by the way, for yeah. no good reason. <laughs> They're like $1,500, so that probably wouldn't be a good choice. I know. Wow. The good... The good thing about the, the Juno 106 is the, the fact that it's, it's laid out. You start with the oscillators and you just go through the whole thing, you know, start at your left and go all the way to your right. And it really, it's so easy to like, you know, really understand. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like, like that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I think he means more like, like that. I'm not sure. Or like that. I, I, I don't, yeah, see, I don't. they're very rare. Uh, or like that. <laughs> that. Actually, that's not a 106. That's a Prophet 12 signed by Dave Smith. But anyhow. <laughs> but... So I just wanted to throw it out there. What would you guys recommend? Because it's like there's so many great synths, but how many are great to really introduce people into the whole world of synths? And because, I mean, let's face it, and, and tell me if I'm not correct, and I want you guys to jump in. When you start off with synthesizers, obviously the first place you want to start off is what's going to generate your tone, the, your oscillator, right? You're going to start the oscillator, and then you're going to go into, you know, your filters, and you're going to go into your, you know, your um, envelopes and things like that. But you just want something that people can kind of, you know, you can tweak the resonance, and you can hear it as you're tweaking your your, your oscillators, and you can hear the difference between a sine and a square and a triangle and all that kind of stuff. Any ideas? You guys got any options that you want to throw out there for um, for my friend? Yes, I have plenty. Here's, here's the thing about it, is what's old is new again, right? And so these companies, particularly Korg and Roland, have gone to um, making new versions of these old and classic synthesizers that were classic for a lot of reasons, and Moog as well. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who is so frustrated in terms of trying to keep my vintage keyboard's up and working. My Matrix 12 doesn't work. I need to get it fixed. I've been trying to wait for chips to come from Hong Kong for a month and a half to see if that'll fix it and so forth. But you can go and buy new versions of a lot of these different synthesizers that are perfect for learning on because A, they're analog or sort of analog, and B, because they have everything lined up and laid out exactly the way that you say, Mike, because they were designed before the 1980s, 1990s rompler era of, you know, of one of one thing in a data screen right so korg has released an arp odyssey which is great they've released an ms20 which is great and they are laid out like the originals but they just have little tiny keys on them so they're not what i would consider for playing piano on or something but they're wonderful and also roland has gone and created these little itty bitty versions of you know digital representations of some of their greatest synths. So they have a little itty bitty Jupiter Eight and a JX3P and um, you know 
bunch of other a bunch of other stuff like that. I think they have a TR-808. Aaron, you probably know. I don't know for sure. But I know that they've gone and created all of these new versions of these classic instruments that have got all the knobs and switches on them. So you don't have to go and spend a lot of money. You can go and get something small that'll fit on your desk that isn't going to cost a lot, and that's going to allow you to learn about synthesis and why software synthesizers are not usually as cool as hardware synthesizers. You know what? That's a, that's a great idea. And I forgot to tell you, the one thing he, uh, he mentioned is that he wanted a full-size keyboard because I actually mentioned mm. the Roland. So that was, that's oh. on me. But that's, you know what? But you're right, though. It's like full-size. If you get the micro, because like, they make a micro Juno, so you get one of those, you, still, you get the, the same experience, you know, as, as understanding. But I understand the want to touch you know, real knobs and the want to touch the full size things. But, um, well, you can certainly make it mix and match. Uh, sorry. Um, you can get like a full size controller and put it with a mini Juno. Um, the suggestion I was going to make is I really love the Korg, uh, mini log XD. That one's kind of an interesting hybrid that it's got analog processing. Um, but you know, digital presets and, and it has the opportunity to drop in some, you know, either, user priest user uh, algorithms or to they've got an open source module so you could get in and write your own oscillator if you wanted to so that's granted it's small keys that just does disqualify but you can always hook up something bigger if you no, want that's it's only that's, 600 bucks yeah no that's that's actually really good the other way i told him to go is i said look if you want to learn about a lot of synthesis and you don't want to spend a ton of money like break free from i want a keyboard go with a controller you know similar to what aaron said but buy the apps on uh, on uh, your iPad because you can see the same workflow that a, a lot of the analog. It's not the same as having the the knobs, but man, it's a great place to learn. You can tell the difference between you, you get a virtual M1, you get a virtual, you know, Juno, you get a virtual RP. I mean, you can really jump into all different types of synthesis, and and uh, so. I don't know, but there's a, those are great ideas. Rob, I'm going to ask you, we'll, we'll end with you. Do you have any, Mr. Synthman himself? Mr. Synthman, well, and I will say that Juno 106 was my first synth. <laughs> uh, I think it actually, I had a, before it, I had a Yamaha SK50D, which was a symphonic ensemble that no one remembers or even should remember, but I used to play bar mitzvahs and weddings with it. But my first actual synth where you could, sit and play with real synthesizer controls was the Juno 106 and it it was awesome and it's still awesome. I would say any kind of, anytime you can put somebody who's a future synth freak in front of a real synth, like in front of a mini mode or in front of a Juno or, you know, some of the Dave Smith stuff or, or oh, you know, yeah. any of the classic synths, that person, and I know this from personal experience, that person gets lost and goes to a different planet. As soon as you're sitting down to a plug-in and a controller and all this other stuff, it's really, really cool and it can be fun. But to me, you don't get as lost in it. Like I, I still, I have to be careful. I have a Minimo Voyager. If I, if I sit down and play with the thing, I need to just make sure I don't have anything to do for an hour because even just coming up with a quick sound, it's just so creative and so easy to get around on. And there's that feeling like you're one with the instrument which you can get a similar sound and you can understand all of the, the logic and the sound flow and everything else from a plugin, but it's not the same experience. That's really, it's simply. There's Mike, a I got, I got to throw something in, in here. I've been 
writing some ambient synth music, and I've been so frustrated about my Matrix 12 being down for months now. And so the other day I said, all right, I've got a couple of hours. I want my Matrix 12 sounds. I'm going to go use my Arturia vintage you know, synth collection, which I have all of them, right? And so I sat down, and I opened up Cubase, and I started, you know, I busted out the Moog modular, and I played with it for about a minute and said, oh, no. And then I busted out the Matrix 12, and I played with it for a minute, and I said, no, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to my hardware and put up with all issues and details and problems and broken stuff and it's just it it's it's too compelling at least for me to be able to work with knobs and faders in real time and that's one of the reasons why I like Eurorack so much and the Serge stuff too because it really is the timbral shaping is as much a part of the performance practice as the notes themselves. And that's that talk about lost, man. I don't know. I fell into this when I was 18, Rob. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever uh, climbed out of that hole, and I don't know that I ever will. <laughs> well, those things, yeah, those things you could spend eight hours to get a sine wave. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> these are all great words of wisdom and great advice, and uh, I'm going to pass it on. Um, but we're going to move forward because I want to leave plenty of time uh, to visit with Aaron. Uh, Aaron is uh, the big boss uh, of a fantastic company, uh, 1010 Music. And I'll be honest, uh, ask me how long I've known about 1010 Music. Go ahead, Nick, ask me. Mike, how long have you known about 1010 Music? <laughs> about four hours since you told me. <laughs> <laughs> we had another guest, just to be honest, we had another guest who couldn't make it. And, uh, and Nick said, hey, let me call up my friend Aaron and, and get him on. And I'm like, great. He's like, yeah, he's from 1010 Music and they have some really cool gear. And so... Um, he sent me a text and I sent an email to Aaron and then I'm like, I have to do my homework. So I went to the website and my life has changed. I just want to tell you right off the bat, my life has changed. Oh my gosh. Go to 1010 Music right now and look at Black Box. It's what the is the website name? 1010music.com. It's the most, it's, it's literally something I've been looking for for a while because you could literally put any piece of gear in front of it and it will complement it. It's like Hydrosynth and a black box, you know, Prophet 12 and a black box. What it is, is it's this great little sampler that, well, I'm gonna go to the man himself. And Aaron, why don't you tell us a little Very bit about great. a little bit about the black box? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, black box is indeed a compact sampler. It's often that I'm at trade shows and people walk up and go, Wow, look at how small that thing is. And they're referring to the black box, not to fend <laughs> off any wisecracks. Um, they're not talking about you because you're about 6'5 or so. 6'7. <laughs> but um, six, the, it's, we've just introduced a new feature where you can now, with the MIDI output on the black box, plug that into another synth and then do an automatic multi sample recording session. So you really can take that and either grab loops, um, one shots, you know, melodic samples kind of whatever you, whatever you need. We know a lot of different people who use the size of the black box and put it in that sort of empty space of a lot of legacy keyboards and just have it there to record various things, you know, different patches, different riffs, and so on. Um, because it's a modern piece, it's recording directly to micro SD, so there's not RAM buffers being utilized or that you have to worry about. So it's much more of a, you know, field recorder than a, you know, sampler that then requires you to then distill it down and save it off. It's always being... It's always recording waves when you're recording. Um, 
let's see, what have I missed? Well, I'll tell you one it's thing. It's not just a sampler. It's also yeah. a full-fledged sequencer. Exactly. And, and mixer with effects. And you can manipulate it. You can manipulate your samples, and it's fast. That's right. Uh, it also has a USB um, port where you can plug a controller directly into it. So the small little unit that Nick just held up you know, could be the host for a full-size keyboard, a mini keyboard, a bank of knobs, or that kind of thing. So it's really kind of you know, meant to live in this world with all these new pieces we talked about, like a you know, mini TR-808. Or... This, is my road, this is my road gear now. So a Keith McMillan, for people who aren't seeing it, this is one of the little Keith McMillan, uh, you know, keyboard things that plugs directly into the black box via Q-Nexus. USB yeah. and a set of uh, Q-Nexus and, and a pair of headphones. This is what I take on the road. And let me tell you, talk about timing. So we've all been in, in you know, COVID and lockdown, the whole thing. And, and I'm, I'm really into environmental creativity. Like I, I, since I do a lot of traveling or used to do a lot of traveling uh, and a lot of editing and things like that on the road, I find I, I could create sometimes differently or even better if I was just out someplace, even just away. Like I love my, my studio, don't get me wrong. I love where I can work here. But sometimes if you want to just turn left, you literally have to, to get away from where you were. So I'm in the middle of putting together a little system that I can move because sometimes I don't want to work here. Sometimes I would... I just need a change of scenery. So I'll go to the kitchen or I'll go to the dining room. And so um, one of the things that I, <laughs> that I had that I picked up and I want to show you guys is this is a little micro PC. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, mm. with these. This is, okay. this is a micro PC. And this one is from a company called um, GPD. It's the pocket two. It has a, it has like an I five in it. It's, it's uh it's really cool. I actually have FL Studio running on this thing, right? So I've been looking forward to putting together a little system that I can move from this studio and go anywhere, like go to the dining room, go there. And when I saw Black Box, that like just blew me away because obviously I don't have the power in this thing to do like a full-on DAW. I mean, it's it's you can run FL Studios, but you, you're not going to go in there and, you know, run your contact and do all that stuff. And, uh, and so I wanted to get that in a little sound generator, you know, whether it's a sound generator from like the hard synth desktop to a tiny little micro Roland, just anything like that. And what's so amazing is looking at the demos and what Blackbox does, it instantly makes it such a creative little environment that you can have with you that you can pack and you can take and you can, you know, I can see myself, you know, kicking back and just working on the black box itself and, and just getting new ways to create new ways to tweak your samples, new ways to take the sense that we have behind us to play into it and to take that and then do some really cool, crazy, weird things with it. It's just, it's such a great little thing. And I think the price point is amazing. And I think it's really great. So I got to ask you, Aaron, how did this thing evolve? Where did this thing come from? It was, it's just really cool. Yeah, it really, it came from um, our Eurac stuff. We have a sampler that's also a touchscreen based thing. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. A few years ago, I was inspired to do something new and it seemed like Eurac was an emerging space and there's lots of interesting things going on. It come from the iOS world where you, as you guys mentioned, there's just tons of cool things that can be done on a touchscreen but there's hardly any money in it. Like people are practically giving away the cool things. So it seems like people are willing to pay for money, you know, pay money for hardware. And even though we're an 80% software company, uh, that seemed like a 
productive place to do some interesting things. And in 2016, like there's very, very little sampling in the modular space. That seemed like an obvious you know, place to start. And that's really, you know, we've taken it from your rack and then moved it into a portable device. Uh, something else that we stole from your rack is just the idea that you're using those mini jacks, the 3.5 millimeter jacks. I mean, part of what enables the device to be smaller is that there's a bunch of, you know, mini jacks on the back that if you were trying to do that with the hundred year old, you know, quarter inch jacks, it would just be massive. And that's why a lot of gear is, you know, kind of ridiculously big. Now is but, this um, the, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, yeah. So, and, and to your point, it was, it's meant to be um, something that plays along with other things, something that's, you know, yes, it has a sequence center. Yes, it can do some sketchpad type stuff, but it's not meant to be, you know, it's meant to complement other things that there are great synthesizers and great sequencers and other things that, you know, we're coming from the Eurorack space where you're building your own instrument by what you assemble and what you combine it with. You know, granted in the tabletop world, you're generally dealing with bigger pieces and not just like an oscillator or a filter, but it's still that same, you know, approach of having something that will complement other things. Uh, just so you know, we're about to go to a five screen setup because here comes Mr. Scott Gershon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, uh, and it was so perfect. <laughs> it was so perfect. While we're waiting for Scott to come in, I do want to point out that uh, I, I wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, first one was, uh, it's true that the black box is good as a thing with other you know, units in it. However, I've seen Mr. Higgins here do a full-on ambient set with two black boxes and nothing else, and it was awesome. So I, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to say that right there. I believe it because it, it, the, the power of what this thing can do and the way you can manipulate the samples and things like that, and the sample time is really, it's, it's, you're not limited. I, it's, you can take whatever size card you can put in this thing really quick. Scott, how are you, sir? <laughs> you're muted right now, brother. Just so you know. Hello. Hey, Scott. <laughs> Hello. How you doing? All right. Well, well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Audio Nowcast, and uh, we'll catch you next time. So long, everybody. Just kidding. Uh, so, Eric, is this, uh, is this, was the black box, was it? one of your first products that you made or were you doing your Eurorack stuff first and then this kind of developed? Where does this line up in your product catalog? Yeah, so we started in Eurorack in 2016 and did several different things uh, beyond that, a synthesizer and effects processing unit, a sequencer. It was really um, someone, you know, plenty of people I've talked to just said, hey, you should build something that's outside of the rack. You, there's an opportunity to build something that's, you know, appeals to a broader audience, doesn't require as much foreknowledge, doesn't require, you know, a $10,000 rig to do anything useful. Um, and it kind of, it came late in the process simply because we had to build up a lot of the pieces and learn how to do certain things. And there were certain things like, you need to have physical transport buttons, you need to have physical navigation buttons. Like, touchscreens are great. You know, I love my iPad too, but there's certain things that are much better with a knob or being able to always go someplace with a button. So it was, you know, definitely a, you know, many lessons learned along the way. And, you know, that's why it's three, four years later than everything else. Now with this, when did it come out? I mean, like I said, I'm late to the party and I will fully admit that I'm late to the party. <laughs> I'm just glad I got to join the party though. But when, when did Black Box come out? Yeah. Welcome to the party. It was introduced at Simplex in March of last year. 
Okay, so Back I'm not, we went to trade shows. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> anywhere, you mean? Yeah. So I'm I'm not that late, just a year. <laughs> uh, um, well, that's fantastic. Now let's talk about uh, Ten Ten Music um, and uh, and some of the other products that you guys have, and kind of your philosophy on on how you're doing this. Because man, I'm looking at what you got, and you've got some really great hits. And and uh, I would get into your rack because of your gear yeah. seriously because one of the things that prevents me from your rack is is like you go like i go to nam show and i like to play with all the rack stuff but then you walk away and you'll never hear those sounds again <laughs> it's like it's just right gone. i mean your rack's great in many different ways i mean it's nice to be kind of living in the moment and not be so worried about like oh i have to create something start to finish um on the other hand like it's always you know work in progress and, and never done um, our philosophy coming into it was, you know, nobody was doing anything with touchscreens in that space. You know, touchscreens are great. They're intuitive. They let you see a lot of stuff, you know, compared to, you know, here's a LED that has 10 different colors to tell you which mode you're in. I mean, come on, how about a piece of text on the screen or a diagram? Um, it, uh, it was also interesting to see how much digital was coming into play. That a lot of the mutable instrument stuff, maybe all of it is all digital behind the scenes that yes, it's analog interconnects. Yes. It's kind of, you know, old school, but yet it's new school meets old school. And I also really love Eurorack because it's kind of an anything goes sort of thing where, you know, you want to build a tape delay with an actual tape cartridge in it, do it. You know, you want to build, you know, a touchscreen sampler, go ahead. You, know, you want to build everything from A to Z. Like that was inspiring to get involved in something like that. It was also nice for a new company that you can, you, know, you don't have to worry about building an enclosure. You don't have to worry about a power supply. A lot of things are taken care of for you as you get started. So it was you know, great talking to people who are in the business and can point, point me to things like, you know, the ST micro tool kits and, you know, draw upon like what mutable instruments and others were doing to try and get started. But you know, the one thing, okay. And don't nobody shoot lightning bolts at me. Okay. For what I'm about to tell you, the, the one thing that that's always kind of been a turn off is yes, you can have all these great sound, this great sound palette, but a lot of times sounds aren't aren't what you could be. Like they, they just, they don't sound great. It's a lot of beeps and bloops and a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not saying all of it. I'm just saying a lot of times you hear that. And the cool thing about products like your stuff is like you can, it can just, I think, elevate the sound. Not, and I'm not trying, I'm not like, I don't want to trash your rack guys and the purists and the, you know, the pure analog guys, but it's really nice to see the ability to take it to other levels. And then you, and, and I know there's other companies that do other things that can, you know, take it to that level. But you know, the argument is, do you really want to turn your Euro rack into a rompler? No, of course not. But it's really nice to see tools that can at least take your sound to a different direction. Yeah. I like how Mike just summed up the first 10 years of my career with the words bleeps and blurps. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to jump I'm going to jump in uh, for the defense of your rack here just for a quick, for a quick, as you knew I would. And I'm not um, anti-Eurorack. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know. So a couple, I've got like seven things to say. The first thing is go take a look online, go do a search on YouTube for a Eurorack artist named Stevio, S-T-E-E-V-I-O. And he creates badass swinging jazz funk all fully improvised on Eurorack and it's great music that's number 1 number 2 i want to absolutely say that or i want to i want to sit here and and you know really sing 1010 music's praises for a moment so i have a bitbox 
and it is unquestionably the heartbeat of my Eurorack system. And there, the reason why, or there are several reasons why, the touchscreen, as Aaron said, it's incredibly useful. There's no such thing as a limitation in terms of, of space because it's all micro SD. And what's so cool about it is because of the fact that he programmed it, you know, with such low level code, stuff that you could never do, or very diff it would be very difficult to do on a computer, the timing is incredibly tight. And it allows me to be able to use it as my drum sampler while at the same time recording everything that is happening in terms of an improvisation that I'm doing on other tracks at the same time. It's, it's really a phenomenally solid piece of kit. And there's constantly new firmware updates and things coming out. And Toolbox, another of Aaron's pieces, which we haven't really talked about, but which is the sequencer engine that went into Blackbox, is a fantastic, beautifully well-thought-out pattern-based step sequencer. You know, that, that, that's this big. It's just awesome. The interface, I will say, I saw, I, I, I saw um, a video uh, on... Uh, I think it was Sweetwater. I'm not sure where I, where I got the link from, but it was really snappy. I mean, I was really impressed at how how snappy the interface was. Like it was really fast and functional, and the fact that you could, you know, use the the uh, touchscreen and play on it was really impressive. It's really impressive, just all that you could do. Yeah. With the whole thing. Yeah, thank you for all of that. And I do have to point out just like how, how far things have come. I mean, yeah, I had a sampler that was, you know, 50 pounds and, you know, took up a seat in your car. And, you Hi, know, Rob. That stuff, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Rob, we're kind of, um, But, you know, that's, we're, we're finding that you can stream like 16 simultaneous samples off a micro SD card with, you know, a basic inexpensive car. I mean, so many of these things are just now possible that would have been like unheard of or, you know, a ridiculous dream 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. I have a question for you. So I started from modular synthesis, the, the first go around, and now it's had a resurgence. And a question, one of the things that I always found frustrating is, you know, it's kind of cool to do patch chords and all of that. And I would come up with these amazing patches, whether it was 2500s or Moog modulars, et cetera, and obviously 2600s. Um, and then I'd have to take it all apart and try to memorize it, et cetera. So with all the Euroracks, and I think, again, it's kind of cool with control voltages, has there been any discussion to be able to have digitally controlled patching and stuff where you can create presets where you, know, you come up with this great patch and it's great, and now you either get rid of it and remember it, take pictures, you can many different ways. But as a sound designer myself, I'll spend, I mean, I've time with Rob's house, I've spent so many times working on presets, working on these really elaborate, pieces and I want to keep it and call it back later at a different time. Any thoughts as far as your racks rather than instead of doing wire cables, but now doing digital busing or audio busing? I've seen a few different things at that end. I know that Polyend does make some sort of digital presets where it's, you know, a bank of control voltages that you can bang in and out by loading you know, presets from, I presume, a micro SD card. Uh, a sound center, I know Drew Newman. I don't know if you've had the chance to, to speak with him. His gig is that he'll, you know, he's got an elaborate modular setup, but like sort of once a season, he will set up his gear, you know, patch it the way he likes it and then leave it that way. Um, that's one kind of way to get semi-presets. Um, but I guess it's, you know, 
it's, is it a blessing or is it a curse? I mean, I think a lot of people are more coming from the computer world where you can save things ad nauseum. And this is kind of the opportunity, you know, it's when it's gone, it's gone. It's so I, I haven't heard a lot of call. It seems like quite the opposite. People are celebrating the fact that it's like, it's not forever, but you know, you can always record the output. Um, you can always multi-sample the output. You can do certain things to archive it for later. Yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about Black Box is you spend all that time creating the perfect sound, just multi-sample it into it, and you, you, you captured it, and you have it, and then you can move on. But, you know, in trying to be a commercial artist, which is always the challenge, that, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll spend, you know, I'm working many times, 10, 15, 16, all the time hours, and you go, you know, I, I just got to, it's fine, I'm getting exhausted, I'm losing my ears, how many people lose their ears after a while going, I thought it was good, then it wasn't so good tomorrow. And you want to create, I mean, so many great things you can do with, with electronic music and a lot of these modules. And if I'm doing creatures and I'm doing weapons and I'm doing movies and games, I want to be able to, a lot of times the variations is what creates the magic. So that's where I went in, like, I, I you know, I kind of did that with Rob's house. I go in, tweak something, go record it. Okay, tweak something a little bit, record it again. Okay, record it again. And now you got thousands of recordings of very subtle changes. And sometimes you just want to perform it. It'd be nice to be able to call it up two weeks, a month later. And again, as a commercial artist, somebody's got to create product quickly. It'd be great for that technology. Or let's say I want to take the outputs of Pro Tools. And I want to put through a whole modular system to be able to control filtering, modulation issues, and then run it back into the system. And then a year later, I'm doing you know Pacific Rim 3. And I want to do some weird hologram stuff. There it is. Call it up. Boom, there it is. Okay, now I have so much more knowledge now than I did then. Let me try something different. Well, you know what, though? I, I would say if you want to do all that, you get a profit X from sequential and it's you'll be able to. I mean, but, but I, think, I think your rack, I hope it never gets that way because half the fun of it, even though I may not be a fan of, of all the sounds, is it's you're in the moment, you're, you're touching it, you, you have all the patch cables, and, and you're creating. And I love what Aaron was talking about, that one artist that once a season, he sets up his rig and that's it. And if he goes out and tours and you can say, look, I saw him, you know, well, I don't know about anymore, but I saw him with this 2019 sound set and I saw him yeah. with the 2018 sound set. And you'll know, you'll never get that. Like, where, how often do you get that kind of stuff? There's, there's a certain, I understand what you're saying, Scott. And I think that's where like the stuff that he's talking about where you can capture it. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope I hope those patches never go out. It, 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 there's there's something about it, and let's face it, the sound of the patches themselves affects the sound of the modules. Like everything in, in analog, kind of builds upon each other. It kind of builds upon itself. Um, so. so take a look at my live rig there for those of you who can see it. If you can see it, you can see that all of the cables are carefully wound together and everything has been totally organized. That is the result of my working for six months on creating a live, a live rig. And it is exactly what Aaron said. I'm going to record two or three more improvisations on it. And then I'm going to tear it all out. And then it's going to be time to start again. And that is the beautiful thing. The, the way that I would put it, Scott, and I think the reason that I love things like the Buchla easel and all these analog synths and all of this stuff is because I love indeterminacy very, very much. 
uh, you know, I'm a John Cage guy all the way back. And I would say that um, the difference between uh, a Euro rack system and a replicable system like what you're talking about is the difference between an oil painting and Photoshop. And they're both great and you can make awesome art with both of them. But I wouldn't be using, if I was a professional graphic artist, you know, like the ones that I work with at Disney all day, they use, you know, I have a friend who's a phenomenal artist who uses Photoshop for all the illustration work that he does for Disney. And then he goes home and uses oil paintings for his own abstract art afterwards. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly the same thing here. Hey, um, as we're moving along, Scott, we're not trying to beat up on you, brother. We're just really. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 as a professional, you know, I could go with automation to faders. Who needs automation anymore? You know, you could just do a performance on the mixing console and no two performances are the same. But the reality is for commercial artists, you have clients who want a product out of this and they say, great, can you do that again? No, every performance of the fader is a unique performance and I can never duplicate it exactly the same. So at that point, it doesn't become as viable as a commercial artist. Um, Without they a doubt. Pay, they pay me for, for a specific purpose. And knowing you, Scott, through, you're going to nail it on the first time anyhow. Rob, go ahead. I was just going to say, all through the 90s, I was going through that exact dichotomy because in my own production company, I was doing commercials and movie trailers and film scores and all that kind of stuff where I needed reproducibility and I needed speed and I was using plugins and all this other stuff. But I was also still working for Stevie Wonder in the studio where I'm, you know, patching Moogs and patching Arps and Oberheims. And, you know, the way we did presets with him is we'd have 15 of each synth. And so you'd, you'd patch it and then you'd set it up and that was the preset. Then you'd go get another Oberheim off the shelf sure. and that's another preset. Yeah. Which was a real luxury. Which is why place. Rick Wakeman had all the synths. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there were still old pictures around from old music magazines. I used to have at Wonderland what we called the Circle of Doom. And it was like 50 synths in a circle. And they were basically presets because more than half of them were just analog synths that had no memory. Right. And then we had things like the Yamaha Dream Machine that had memory that was electrical, not elect not electronic. So it actually had like pots that you would adjust with a screwdriver and then lights would light up to show that the, the memory card was set the same as the synth. Oh, man. Like we're going back, we're talking 1970. Oh, man. But I, I, but, you and I those days. We I, thought their days aren't there anymore. But I used to go back and forth because if you're dealing with someone who has the luxury of time and doesn't have to do something instantly reproducible all the time and you can be truly creative, it's really fun to live in that world that ephemeral world where whatever you create is in the moment and as soon as you touch something, it's gone. I used to love that. But if I tried to run a successful commercial production company, Absolutely. you know, I'd still be on my first gig. Well, that's what <laughs> the thing is. So I think that it really comes down when you look at modular gear, is it a hobby or do you use it professionally? As a hobby, uh, no, you, you, use really a you use it professionally for art if you're an artist. Yeah. Is Richard Devine a hobbyist? Yeah. Right. I mean, when I look, when I work for Disney, I use Cubase and Reaper. I'm not. I, I don't use my Eurorack system for that. Of course not, because it's a different thing. But how many people still use 2600s? I mean, in other words, what I'm saying is we could go back to where it used to be. I mean, obviously, you created a, a sampling system that contains multiple samples. Why do you need to do that? You can always patch it, because now that's what I love about Black Box. A bunch of friends at ID have turned me on to black box well, Chad a little while ago. And, and I thought it was great because I saw, oh, wow, now all of a sudden 
digital sequencers. Why do you need it? Put the, you know, use a 2500 with sliders and you can do that because there are certain things that are easier, become more intuitive and allow you to evolve your music rather than whatever I have now, I have it, but maybe it's going to get better later. Well, you know, there's always room for improvements, but I will say this because I'm going to, I'm going to keep going on because I want to hear some more from Aaron that, that one of the things about black box and what makes it so great is, is it, it inspires performance. And I think performance is the key here is, is just a little box itself. You can perform on it. And that in and of itself is it relies on the artist to be able to create the art and you can, you know, recreating the performance sometimes is, is even more important some, than, than the sounds itself. It's like, how are you performing? What are you doing on it? Anyway, having to said that, yeah, there's a whole, that's, I, I love this whole discussion about your rack and everything because all these different opinions and how it, fits into people's workflow. Aaron, I want you to really quick talk about 1010 Music and some of the modules that you make because I don't know anything about a lot of this and I just want to hear some of the highlights because it looks like you have synths and you have oscillators and you have sure. all kinds of stuff. So, Yeah, we started off with, with Bitbox, which is our sampler. Um, we've just released a second version of that. It's now extending beyond simple sampling into multi-sampling and granular synthesis. Um, there's now built-in reverb and delay effects. Um, it really takes advantage of a lot of what Eurorack can do by having you know, as many as 20 different modulations going on at the same time. Um, so that's also a, a platform that we've used to let you sideload other things like an effects processing unit, like a synthesizer. Um, it's a, a digital multi-sample, I'm sorry, it's a digital wavetable synth that's polyphonic, which is something you don't see very often in Eurorack. Um, so that's one module that does three different things. Uh, Nick already mentioned the toolbox, which is a sequencer function generator. There's a lot of different things. Taking advantage of the touchscreen will let you swipe your way through, you know, bar graph style control voltage con uh, editing. It has piano roll style editing. I mean, the thing that's easiest to describe is that we steal all the greatest ideas from plugins and from iOS apps and repackage them in touchscreen based modules. So kind of you name it, the chaos pad, we have a, effects processing unit with xy control you know the piano roll you see lots of different places you know there's you know pinching and zooming of waveforms there's all kinds of things that we've learned how to do with our phones that are great fun in, in module land as well um let's see as far as other modules um what's the laser what's the laser uh, it's a laser box yeah. laser box was an absolute blast to work on but it's like the most impractical thing ever um <laughs> I was inspired by one of our customers who came to me and, and described how he's using our sampler to play back laser patterns. I'm like, how is that even possible? Like, what does that even mean? And came to realize that like, yes, those guys just use, you know, 48 kilohertz DC coupled waveforms and they can, you know, draw out the vector art, you know, using a laser with a, you know, interface that can just convert CV signals into like the standard electrical protocol for lasers called ILDA. Um, so uh, this, Artists inspired us to do like some pattern generation and of course sampling and playback is again an important thing. Um, so yeah, this artist, uh, Zach Forrest is his name. Um, he takes um, a computer, generates some text, you know, laser generated text, runs it through a modular synthesizer, does things like manipulates it with filters and, and some of the stereo effects like choruses and delays and stuff can really trick out like 3D art in a way that looks really cool. Um, See, and bit crushing and sample reduction and filtering. There's all kinds of like analogies. Like suddenly you see these things getting gridded. And um, there's also a brilliant artist. I think his name is BR Laser. I don't know if you guys know him. He does a show where he actually will generate a laser show that he puts 
the audio signals to the speakers and the same signals go to the laser. So you're basically seeing and hearing the same thing. And as he's dialing certain knobs, you can see crazy patterns and, and hear the pixelation and hear you know, filtering and that kind of thing. So it was definitely inspired by all those um, sources of really cool art. Uh, but it May turns I out, interrupt like, just, for, sure. just for a moment, Aaron? Uh, if you go to underthebigtree.com, uh, I, did a, I captured a BR laser performance, and I have it up as a YouTube video. And so you can hear exactly Great. what Aaron's talking about yeah, at Superbooth a couple years Aaron, ago. Are you on the laser side, yeah. are you using like an XY oscillator that's modulating? Yes, yeah, so we've done a, a, a adapted version of Toolbox, which is just it's, you know, same kind of awesome, very much what we're doing in audio, like two oscillators that right. are synchronized. Right. Uh, I used to, I used to be a laserium. <laughs> I used okay. to be a laser performer up at Griffith park. Scott and wins. I, Scott wins with that one right there. <laughs> no, no, no. So I just, I saw that. And I'm going, wait a minute. I know this because we took sine waves. It was kind of FM different frequencies with an XY and then started making, you know, Pink Floyd and Genesis. And then, Right. Yeah, you're out. Wait, did you do the Dark Side of the Moon laser show? Because I, I, I saw that like four times. I saw all those, the Lazarium shows up there back in the day. Yeah, I, I did a whole bunch. Oh my gosh. I could have been there for one of your performances. That was a, that was a, a different <laughs> life though. Do you remember yeah. them? That's the question, Scott. Because no, I'm looking at it going, wait a second. I, this feels very familiar. <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting because I knew, I knew lighting, but I wasn't a, I wasn't a laser guy. They were looking for musicians who knew FM. So cool. Yeah. And you played it and you performed it. And that's why I said, oh my God, this looks a lot in that, in that inspiration. It's definitely cool stuff to play around with. I guess the, the thing I found kind of the most disappointing about lasers is that to, be really, to have a really cool laser show, you need fog. Um, you also you know, don't point it at people's eyes because they can go blind. Yeah. And there's so many things <laughs> that like, make it, laser make it kind plates, of awkward. Yeah. So, you know, even like taking it on shows and I've done some trade shows with it, you know, you better make sure you have the right permissions and don't take it into Germany, you're going to get arrested or you know, yeah. things like yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm exaggerating, but not by much. Not by much, no. No, I tried to, when I was younger, I tried to make my own uh, Lazarium uh, little laser thing and I had, I got a little motor and I put a mirror on it because I saw everything was mirror based and the mirrors would spin and they, they would oscillate and then I had a little laser pointer that Pointed, which back in the day was ridiculously expensive. When I was younger, laser pointers were ridiculously expensive. So I had this little thing, and I had this little mirror spinning, and then I could oscillate it with my finger. And you look up, and, you, and then you see all the same patterns, you know. And it was like, wow, all that money and all that time, and and that's all, that's all it did. It was. Yeah, it, 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 one of the things we did at Lazarium was putting anything in front of a laser. And are we doing yeah. an argon laser? You know, what kind of laser are we dealing with? And they'd be like, let's take a Coke bottle. Ooh, let's take a tube. Any kind of glass, you know, and then you dry acrylics that are subtracting and adding different, sure. you know. And, all, and yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you got paid to do that. It was kind of, <laughs> and then it went bankrupt. But uh, that's another discussion. <laughs> hey, all I can tell you is we went from, uh, you know, starting with analog synth, ending up on laser. This is the perfect podcast. That's, that's all I can say. It does not get any It's better. as nerdy as you get. For my, act, for my graduate thesis concert, I had, I had visions of uh, grandeur, and I built myself a laser. This is in like 1991 or so. 
And, you know, with, I built like my hand filled, you know, hand built oscillators to go along with it. And I had these visions of this huge, trippy, phenomenal experience in the Mills College Concert Hall. Yeah, it was red little wobbly wobblies on the wall that nobody was paying attention to. So. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well, hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna have to start wrapping it up um, because I'm gonna try to keep this under an hour so we don't have to chop off on Instagram TV. Which, by the way, uh, if you're out there, yes, we know at an hour it ends. So if our podcast goes an hour and ten minutes, I just chop it at the hour. You know, so that's why you don't see the end of a lot of our podcasts. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, and also sync wise on zoom sync is just merely you know it's just a suggestion because you will lose (laughs) we're not even in sync right now so it's a it's an audio podcast but if you want to see what we look like here you go hey wrapping it up i i just want to um first of all i want to thank you aaron for um coming out here and i want to once again tell people it's uh 1010 music um and just google 1010 music and it'll it'll show up and you get a link but do you want to talk really quick about anything you might be working on that you are, is it still under wraps or you just want to say, yeah, we have a few things coming. Yeah, uh, we do have a few things coming. Uh, we just release some updates, our module, we create something that's smaller and more compact. I mean, it's, you know, touchscreens are great. So we went with a two inch touchscreen and something that's called the Bitbox Micro, which is three ninety nine instead of five ninety nine. That's something we're working on. Uh, you know, we're looking at where else we can take the tabletop stuff because it's a, uh, you know, I've seen some really inspirational things, like you mentioned, wanting to go different places. You know, I think we all do, but I've seen people building synthesizer suitcases and, you know, really trying to cater to that crowd. Like those people want, you know, more smaller things and to hook more things together. Uh, so certainly looking at that space, you know, it's really, it's overwhelming. Like, what can you do with software? Like just about anything people you know, usually say like, hey, is it possible to blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, but that's, that's just the beginning of the question. It's like, what makes sense? Um, you know, I'm, I'm still inspired by, you know, so many great things I hear from our customers, things like we talked about multi microtonal is an interesting space. You're doing more slicing and manipulating and there's just, you know, constant, you know, ways to make things new and, and more interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, new and interesting, you've definitely brought a lot to the table already. And, and I hope you, Thank you, for that. you just keep moving forward with the, with the desktop stuff, uh, with, with the small stuff, because, you know, there's plenty of room on, on my keyboards out there for me to put stuff all over the place. And, and that's what I love. Like I said, I, I just, I want to encourage people to go and to, uh, uh, Google black box from 1010 music because once you watch um, you know what videos that they have out there it's inspiring it really it's, it's not too often a piece of gear comes by that just it, I just started jonesing for it because it's it's truly it's there's it's some inspiration I kind of hate you right now Nick so you could borrow mine <laughs> but I use it every day and in fact <laughs> I want to say that I am in the process of using yeah. this device as the primary sequencer for my entire studio. Uh, so that's, that's I'm not sure if it'll, if it'll work all the way, but right now I have it driving analog synthesizers and it's like Tangerine Dream, you know, right out of there. The step sequencing stuff in here is very powerful. I love the fact that I can have sequencers running simultaneously that are different time signatures. So you get all of that set. It's sort of Steve Reichian kind of beating and phase relationship stuff. It's awesome. It's awesome. So you can borrow mine. 
<laughs> Thank you. Well, what's what's cool is it doesn't have to be an either or. See, right. what's great about gear nowadays is it all works together. So you have it. Let's say I start off on my kitchen table, but then I move it into my studio and I right. sample it into Pro Tools, and then you bring up some of your VSTs, and you. I mean, it just all works together. And so whenever I see a little part of it that just really is awesome, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to to mix it all up and to get it all together and the best part then to bring in lasers <laughs> what more can you what more can you say anyway lasers to their heads <laughs> anyway aaron thank you so much for i mean we're gonna have you back man because it was fun and, and thank you very much and actually we didn't great fun we didn't deep dive into synths as much as i wanted to but thank you for the uh for the uh all you guys for the recommendations um at the very beginning uh before we go First of all, Scott, how did your how did your Uh-oh. webinar go uh, that you were doing last? It time? went great. Um, I think we're trying to post it online now, um, but no, it went very well. We had a good uh, a lot of people came and and uh, checked it out. So yeah, we talked about Mrs. America and and what went into it. I brought some of the actors and the Walla Group came in and yeah, we talked about all that. Yeah, it's, I it got some buzz, and so I was reading about it. So that's what I'm glad you're here because I was going to ask you about that. Um, are you working on anything you want to talk about, or anything you can talk about right now? Uh, we uh, Valorant we had worked on for a year and a half, and that's now out. Right, that's from cool. Riot. Uh, and then we got Legends of uh, Unterra, which is also out. Which we we can now start talking about things that we've been working on. Um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's starting to come to fruition. We're, we're still cranking. Luckily, you know, thankfully, we're very busy right now. And, um, and it looks like we've got, uh, hopefully nothing changes. We've got to work till the end of the year. So it's nice to be able to say that. We appreciate it. We don't take it for granted. And it's nice for the distraction, you know? Yep. Fantastic. Really quick, anybody else have anything they want to talk about that they're working on? Yeah, I just dropped a new video. Um, a 35-minute deep dive into the Buchla easel. So nice. it goes through the entire instrument bit by bit because it took me so long to learn how to use it well. That, and I saw that there was nothing else on the internet out there that did that. And so I wanted to do the same. Um, and speaking of tutorials, I really want to point out Loop Pop has a phenomenal tutorial on the web um, going over the, the black box very, very well in a really detailed way. So if you want to learn more about it, you can just go and check out what he did along those lines as well. Fantastic. How about you, Rob? Anything? A bunch of things that are under wraps at the moment, but should be able to talk about them soon. Perfect. (laughs) Like normal. (laughs) Yeah, like, well, I mean, I had been planning to travel. I had things I was supposed to be doing at Berklee College of Music, things I was supposed to be doing in Florida, Mm. things I was supposed to be doing in New York, things I was supposed to be doing in Philly. And I'm not doing any of them. Wow. So at some point, I'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. It's all virtual right now. Well, that's fantastic. What you, Mike? What you been working on? Uh, let's see. Uh, just drop some more API videos. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, stuff for API, which has been kind of fun. And basically, you know, we'll have to talk about this on the, on the next podcast because you know, sometimes you have to shift into, into your B plan. And so I'm shifting into my B plan on a, on a few things. And, uh, and it's, it's just the way life goes. But sometimes your B plan turns out to be pretty fun and pretty okay. So we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully, 
I've, I've actually just been in contact with a lot of people in Nashville since I have a lot of friends out there from filming out there and stuff like that. And man, I just, my heart goes out to, to musicians and to venues and to things like that because, um, you know, concerts aren't coming back anytime soon and it's really a shame. And, and, uh, it's just, we'll save this for another podcast, but you know, things, certain things are, are in the works, but it's, I just feel bad. I feel bad for venues, man. If there's anything you can do, sign any petition that's out there to save our venues because you know, these venues, that's how they, that's their bread and butter is literally people coming out to play. And if, if there's no concerts, there's, they're not making any money. And what do you do with a, you know, 5,000 seat theater if you can't have people in it? It's it. And when's the next time you're going to feel comfortable being around 5,000 people at the same time. So it's just, man, it's really, it's really sad. Anyway, I, go ahead. Can I give a quick shout out, Mike? Are we right? Sure. Yeah. 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 No, you got it. We got two minutes. Okay. I'll be really quick. So a friend of mine who I've actually done uh, recitals with in other cities, uh, is with the San Jose Opera. He's a baritone. He's incredible. His name's Eugene Branco Vianu. And the Opera San Jose has now started doing virtual concerts. And his was one of the first, his was the first one, actually. Awesome. And so people should check it out online. It was amazing. So I'm giving Eugene a shout out. Great. Yeah. Whatever you can do to support people that are trying to do performances and things like that, because it's their bread and butter. So just want to know. Mike, I want to give you props on those API videos that you just dropped. I loved them. And I really loved the Spaces show that you did that, you know, with Larry Droppa. Oh. I, thought, I thought it was wonderful. And I was just riveted, of okay. course. I Thank thought you, you did a really nice job. Well, just to give you guys a heads up, we had literally, uh, I have five episodes in, in the works, but because we went on this little, uh, a little around the world where we started off in, in LA, we headed east and we came back all the way from Tokyo. It's going to be one giant episode. It's going to be fun and fast because I, I just don't have the bandwidth to do all that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do one giant episode, but it's going to be really fun. And you'll see a lot of really cool studios and you'll see a lot of cool places. And, and just to give you a, a, uh, a teaser, we went looking for the grave of, uh, of Freddie Mercury because this was around when Bohemia was coming, Bohemian Rhapsody. And, um, and it's like, man, we, you know, you, we just felt like, oh, it'd be great to see, you know, just to kind of pay homage and stuff like that. And then we found out what happened and, and it was, it's, it's a whole story that you'll see, but it was, it's interesting. Needless to say, he doesn't have a grave. He, he doesn't even, he had a little plaque, but it got stolen and you can go to where that plaque was mounted in the graveyard and it's no longer there. And it's, it's, it's really sad. But anyway, all that to say is, you know, stuff's coming and it's in the works. Um, all right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, 1010 Music. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate um, all the coverage. Thanks Oh, it, it's great. I, I mean, I can't tell you how much I, I will shout it from the mountaintop, especially when you see some great technology that works so well. Um, so really quick, what's the thank URL? Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. How do you spell yeah, the so URL? You can, you can, the URL is spelled 1010musicmusic.com. That's where you can find out more. Okay, great. All right, well, for myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. We love you, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.